You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the MBDA. This is President Heather Mason. Thank you for listening. If you're a first-time listener, be sure to check out the previous episodes. Please do us a favor and leave a review. Today's guest is Lance (laughs) Kamisaska, Bike Show Director at the Big Gear Show. Having served in the trade show industry for over 20 years, Lance is an experienced event creator and director who is globally acclaimed for hosting productive and purposeful gatherings, whose blueprints are proven to be years ahead of their time. I welcome this conversation today to learn more about Lance, have some takeaways from Big Gear Show 2021, and a glimpse into the future ahead. Welcome, Lance. Thank you for joining us. Great to be with you, Heather. Oh my gosh, what a show. Just a super huge effort, a great organization. I'm still recovering. How has your week been? It's been just a week now. I was surprised to wake up and realize that week had already passed. I can't even believe it. I am doing well. I mean, I have some bags under my eyes, obviously, and I really was exhausted being outdoors for five days straight, 18 hours a day, you know, with the wind and the sun. I'm not complaining. It's a beautiful office to work in, but it did take its toll. But I am recovering, and we're really busy with post-event duties and looking forward to 2022. I got to be honest, I've never felt so tired walking away from a trade show in all my life. I mean, I spent two days completely like down. So I can't imagine the effort you and your team put in. Do you live near the location? Is that where you're... I I do. I'm lucky enough to live literally 10 miles away from the show site. I relocated to Park City about two years ago after many years of traveling back and forth to Park City, Deer Valley with my previous events in my life. I kept coming back to Southern California and saying, I love that area. I want to live there. But I had kids in school and other ties to Southern California. I couldn't break at the time. But finally, two years ago, my wife and I made the decision to make the move. And we live just down the road from where we were. Such an amazing area. I fell in love with it just for the brief time we were there. Lance, I have to say it was an incredible experience working so closely with you and your team. You know, we met weekly and I really want to get into the show, but I always love to start with like the person. So in this case, it's you. And I I want to know, (laughs) because we haven't had a chance to really catch up the two of us. How did you get into the bike industry? Well, this could be an entire separate podcast, probably, but I'll try to be concise and brief. I mean, I grew up in a bike shop, really. I fell in love with cycling at 13, and I pinned on my first number at 14. And I actually wasn't working at my local bike shop just yet, but I was hanging out there so much. Uh, A buddy of mine, same thing. And we were always in the bike shop. And finally, the owner came up to us and said, if you're going to be here this many hours, we might as well put you to work. So I started working at my local bike shop at 14, worked all through high school. Absolutely, it was my home away from home. I loved it. I was racing my bike. I was hanging at the bike shop. And if I wasn't eating or sleeping, I was trying to get school and going back to the bike shop. And I did that all the way through high school, left to go to college. And then uh, even all my years in college, all I wanted to do was get back to the bike shop because I just loved the environment. I loved working retail. And I did. I returned back to that same bike shop, which, by the way, was Ridgewood Cycle in northern Jersey, where I grew up. Uh, The store is still going strong. And sadly, I I should say the owner that I'm referring to, Don McKinnon, just passed away last month. And it was sad because uh, this is the man that was responsible for getting me so involved in retail and bikes. And I'll always be appreciative of his, his hard work and effort. But at any rate, I got into retail then back after college and they opened up a satellite store, which was an absentee owner store that I ran for about three years. 
And during all this time, my family, my immediate family, my mom and dad and my brother, all relocated to Southern California. They were getting a little tired of New Jersey. And I stuck it out, but I, I was longing to go home, if you will. So I picked up and moved to California, stumbled into a legendary store, 401 Main Street, Huntington Beach, California, called Two Wheel Transit Authority. Those old enough to know, probably people more my age will remember that that was the bicycle store, retail store in the United States. And my big break came when the current manager at that time said to me, hey, Lance, you know, I, I like what you bring to the table. I like your experiences. I want to make you the manager. I'll be leaving in six months, which was completely unbeknownst to me that he was leaving. So I became manager of that store. And it was an absolutely incredible time in retail for me. I, it was one of the best bike shops maybe on the planet. We had guests coming from all over the world to see the store. It was big. It was merchandised beautifully. It was all top level equipment for enthusiasts. So we weren't even dealing with not to say there's anything wrong with kids' bikes, but you know, as an enthusiast and a racer, to be working with all those products exclusively was pretty amazing. Anyway, I'm getting a little long in the tooth, but I worked there for a couple of years and it was the epitome of what I thought retail was, but I was longing to get on the other side of the fence. I wanted to be working for a manufacturer. So I got an offer to work with Suntour, another old brand that was really tied closely with Fuji bikes. They were really attached at the hip for spec and product. And I flew back to my hometown almost in New Jersey and picked up a job working with Suntour that led me to Fuji. I was with that group, there was two brands for about nine years and decided I wanted to be back in California. So I flew back to California. I was living in California again when the phone rang and it was a dear friend of mine who was the director of Mavic USA. And he said, hey, we're going to be taking Mavic dealer direct, which is more commonplace today. But back in 92, it would have been. Going dealer direct was a big deal. And not too many European brands in particular did it. The most recent one at that time was Thule, if I recall. And uh, we were admiring the work they did to turn the key and go dealer direct. So they brought me in. And for six months, I worked ridiculous amounts of hours and got that brand turned around to go dealer direct. And it was a really exciting time. I loved Mavic. You know, again, as a former road racer, everything about Mavic and the yellow cars and the service course was. You know, dream come true. So that was really a dream job. I'm almost to the end. So hang in there. So finally, uh, Mavic uh, was purchased by Solomon. Nice company, but they immediately wanted to move the company to New England. And my family was ringing the bell again to come home. So I once again moved back to California. And I was just hanging out really and helping my brother with a business that he has unrelated to cycling. And uh, somebody said, hey, Interbike is looking for a trade show director. And I thought, God, I love the show. I was an executive for 13 years. I always got a charge out of being in, at Interbike and seeing everybody and being a part of that. So I applied for the job and by some dumb luck, I got it. So that was my jump into trade shows. And I was Interbike show director probably during the best time. I mean, we were on fire and the show was huge and it got bigger and bigger every year. And I was there for 10 years directing it. And I finally decided I just wanted to do something on my own. I was tired of the big show. I didn't think it was necessarily touching all the points that I thought a trade show should do. And understandably, it was a big show. I mean, it's like cruising the Queen Mary and you go by beautiful beaches and you can't stop because the ship's too big. I felt like I wanted to stop and get off on one of those beaches. So I formed my own little company called Lifeboat Events and immediately launched a series of press caps that I did for the next decade and dealer cap in the middle of all that. So, so anyway, that was kind of the last part of my career in the cycling industry until I decided to, uh, I sold the brand 
that I started, and I was working on consulting when I met Sutton Bacon, who uh, launched the Big Gear Show, and that's where we are today. So much to unpack there. You know, I don't think <laughs> any of us realized at the time where we're headed, and that is what is so fantastic about the bicycle industry. You know, if you're passion filled for it, which I can tell, you know, our listeners can't see you, but I see you're just smiling and lit up talking about your past and the reflection talking about the retailer in New Jersey you worked for. This industry just continues to open doors if you want them to come to you. I have so many questions. So we went from Interbike to launching your own company, Lifeboat Events and Press Camp. Can you tell us more about Press Camp? Because that doesn't exist anymore, correct? But I remember it being a very spectacular thing for the industry. I can. And it's a pretty interesting story. But I'll, again, I'll try to be as brief as possible. So during my tenure with Interbike, I always had this vision of doing small, intimate, experiential style targeted events that weren't for the masses, but they're really for a targeted audience. And even during my 10 years with Interbike, I did a thing in New Jersey, Vernon, New Jersey, called the Open Air Trade Fair, which now in hindsight was really what the Big Gear Show was last week. It was an outdoor experiential event where we brought in retailers and manufacturers. That would have been 1999. And then throughout my tenure, I was always trying to saddle up alongside other gatherings. I did a series of events with the BLC, which wasn't the BLC at the time, but similar platform. I did a condo to condo kind of a speed dating event one time where, again, targeted, you know, intimate, you know, personal type of events. But it was really towards the end of my time, my dear friend, Chris Zygmunt, and I, he was working with Pedros. And there was an event you may remember well called the Pedros Festival in New England. And he said to me one day, he goes, I'd like to bring in some media and have them meet, you know, with the manufacturers that are actually present at the Pedros Festival and let them get to know each other and let them demo some products. And I was all over it. I said, that is a brilliant idea. So I was still with Interbike and we actually did that. We hosted a little tiny event within the Big Pedros Festival where we, we hooked up the media with the brands. It didn't make any money. It didn't really make any media coverage, but it was cool. I thought it was really cool. So the first idea I had in leaving Interbike and forming my own little company was to try to do that again. And uh, it was just me and my business partner at the time, Chad Batterstone, and we kind of resurrected that idea to bring the media together, particularly brands who wave their arms in the air and they struggle to get the media's attention. Because let's face it, I mean, the media's attention is pretty much taken up by the major brands, particularly at at other events. And we felt like these guys needed a leg up. So we launched our first press camp, which is what we called it, in 2009, and that would have been in Sun Valley. And it was hugely accepted. We had, I think the first event, we had 20 brands. And I think we had 20 plus members of the media. It was, again, that speed dating thing that I resurrected from another event I did with Interbike to have the media sit and have scheduled appointments throughout the three days that we gathered. And that meant everybody would see everyone. And in between all that, we'd be on bikes and we'd be eating great food and drinking a few beers and and having fun. So it was really well received. The only problem with it that came out of the end was I wasn't pleased with Sun Valley. Nothing wrong with Sun Valley. It's a beautiful place, but it's a little hard to get to. And the airport's tiny. And if it fogs up, you're out of luck. So I came to Deer Valley. That was my first year in 2010. I walked the venue and met a gal named Julie Norcross, who was super kind to me and drove me around in her car. And we stuck there ever since. So we, we did, I don't know how many, I think we did 15 press camps there from 2010 to 2017. And they were very exciting events. I did a bunch of them. I did one in Washington, D.C. We did three in Southern, no more, 
five, I think we did in Southern California. We tried to launch one in Europe, almost got off the ground, but we ran into some struggles. It was critically acclaimed around the world. And we had literally had journalists and brands from around the world. It was a great time. Yeah, I remember being on a couple brand specific marketing events and hearing the media that was on this, you know, trip that I was on talking about Press Camp and their excitement to go. And, you know, Lance, there's something that I witnessed at the Big Gear show that I really need to give you kudos on, you know, being someone who's gone to Interbike for several years as a retailer and also as a vendor. You just, I don't know, the way you approach everyone and your your attitude, it's very friendly. And there's a certain level of passion and caring that you don't get all the time. And it's recognizable. And I mean, your son was there working. Like it truly means something to you and you can tell. I want to know how you became the bike show director for the Big Gear Show. How did that role come about? Yeah, so in 2017, well, actually in 2015, I actually sold the Press Camp brand, not my company, but just the brand of Press Camp to another trade show organizer out of Cleveland area, Ohio. And they ended up hiring me back to be the director of the Press Camps that they inherited from the purchase. And I was working on that until 2017. And sadly, it's another long story for another podcast, but they end up shelving the press camp events because they were moving in a completely different direction. And quite honestly, when they bought us, we were kind of the black sheep of the family anyway. So the relationship came to an end. And I was for the first time, I guess you could call me unemployed. I didn't have a job and I was kind of trying to figure out my next steps. So I decided to hang a shingle and be a consultant for brands who do events. Because I, you know, in all the years I was doing events, I was seeing some people doing really well, and I was seeing a lot of others doing really poorly. And I thought I could make a living helping people do a better job at events, whether they're consumer events or trade events. And lo and behold, I got a few gigs and I was making some money and surviving. And in the meantime, I'm keeping my ear to the ground on what's going on in the trade show world. And I hear about this guy named Sutton Bacon, who I didn't know at all. And he had an experience of doing this event called Paddle Sports Retailer, which was a breakoff from the outdoor retailer show for the paddle sports industry. So I knew a little bit about that, but I didn't know who Sutton Bacon was. And then I heard that he wanted to integrate other active lifestyle segments into his paddle sports retailer event, change the name to the Big Gear Show, and it was going to include cycling, camping, and hiking, and climbing. And I thought, that's a brilliant idea because really... We're all outdoors. We're all one big family, if you think about it. And we're all fighting for the same consumers. And let's face it, when you open a garage anywhere, particularly here where I live now in Park City, but many, many places around the country, what do you see? You see kayaks, you see skis, you see bikes. Yeah, we're all addressing the same end user. And and we really ought to be working closer than we are. So I called the guy. I called this guy, Sutton Bacon, and I said, hey, I'm living right where you're planning to do an event. And I think your idea is brilliant. And we literally talked, I think that first day we talked for an hour and 45 minutes and we just hit it off. We clicked on everything. And the next week he hired me. So (laughs) I really was calling to say hi more than anything else, but I got a gig out of it and it became a full-time job. And the only piece of the puzzle that we were kind of really missing was somebody like me that could speak for the outdoor industry and Kenji Haratunian, who I've known forever because he was the director of Outdoor Retailer when I was the director of Interbike. We worked in the same building, right down the hall from one another. And he, interestingly enough, was doing the same thing I was doing. He was consulting and helping brands do better jobs. We even planned a band together, but that's another podcast. So um, I knew Kenji super well. And I mentioned him to Sutton and he goes, oh yeah, he's my next call. I'm like, well, let me call him. And we got him on board in like two weeks. So the three of us came together and started working. It was magical. 
and really yeah, cool. I was going to say the word I had was magic. I mean, the three of you coming together, <laughs> that's amazing. And so the concept, Lance, of this invitation only, you know, multi-sport show, that was already there. And then you guys kind of expanded on this. Yeah, so Sutton had the vision and we all agreed that it was a great vision and we started working on it. Some of the pieces of the puzzle were in place. We were contracted to have an event at the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City. So it was going to be a more traditional indoor event. Some of the features that we just did last week, like invitational and and making sure that we're putting the best retailers with the best brands, that type of thought was in place. One thing that wasn't, I wasn't too keen with was they were going to devote a hall to some, some demoing. So the vision at that time was to take one of the halls of the Salt Palace and have a climbing wall and maybe put in a bike course and do some things like that. And I immediately raised my hand and I said, hey, you know, 30 minutes up the road is Deer Valley Resort. You know, they know me really well. I've done a lot of events there. It's a beautiful, let's get a demo day or two, whatever we can do up at Deer Valley Resort. So at the time when we incorporated that concept into the show, you can imagine where I'm going here. It was 2019, March, and all of a sudden the world stopped. You know, that was the I was literally almost a week. The world just came to a complete halt about the pandemic. And we, we carried on because we didn't know if it was going to be as serious as it was. And we, we worked really hard on putting that whole concept together until June of, no, I'm sorry, it was May of 19. We had to pull the plug. So we pulled the plug on the show and we all kind of got on a call like, you and I are on now and looked at each other and said, so what's next? And Sutton literally a minute said, we're going to start working on 2021. And I was like, great. So uh, that's what we did. We head first right into 2021, but we decided to bring the event entirely up the hill, as I say, to Deer Valley. And what you saw last week was a culmination of, you know, that thought process and putting everything outdoors. And I, I do want to say one thing that I hear all the time and it, it really is incorrect. I hear a lot of people say, you guys created the greatest event that you could possibly host during a pandemic. Good thinking. You guys are brilliant. And I go, no, we're not that brilliant. We didn't design that event to be a pandemic event. We designed it to be outside because we want to be outside. We believe outdoor industries need to work outside. We need to have experiential components of the event. We want people to try product and get on it and really test it before they buy it. And it's a hard goods show. We can live outside. Our goods belong outside. They're used outside. And the whole show's theme really was to bring the brands together that make the products to get people outdoors. So why are we even considering going indoors? So we really designed this event with that in mind, pandemic, schmandemic. It really had nothing to do with that. As it turned out, it was the perfect event being in a post-pandemic world. But that was never the intention. It was really just about doing an event that we think is meeting the needs of retailers and brands going forward. I mean, Lance, it felt so healthy. I mean, how many trade shows have you worked where the lower back is cramping up at the end of the day or you're just like, get me some fresh air. I have to tell you, everyone was smiling. And what I heard were retailers saying, did you see the guy riding the bike on the water? I don't know if there was like a paddle boat bike or something, but like, you know, they were interacting with many different brands in other industries. And And, you know, you go to a bike show, you're looking at bike stuff all day. Bicycle retailers actually got to look at some stuff outside of bike. And it was like Christmas morning. You know, they were getting to see cool stuff, you know. So I'm still glowing about, you know, just the interactions we had. All right. So early August, I felt like it was perfect timing. Did you guys always have early August on the radar? We did for a variety of reasons. Looking at it in a couple different ways. I mean, I think early August was the compromise for product cycles across the segments that we're working with. 
I think it fit pretty well with bike. Now, of course, in 2021, everything's out of kilter, but I'm convinced uh, that we'll return to a, a cycle, uh, no pun intended, of products. And I think August two years ago felt correct. And I think August will feel correct going forward. So I think in terms of finding that compromise for product cycles for outdoor and for paddle and for bike, it is the best time. And then, you know, our focus is always on retail and retailers. I mean, I know that the knee-jerk reaction is, oh my God, I'm so busy. I can't leave my store. But I also believe that the first week of August might be, and you're an expert on this better than I am, but we felt as if the first week of August, the staffing at most bike shops is still at the greatest quantity. And if there's ever a week that maybe an owner buyer or, or manager could slip away, it might be best the first week of August. So I think most people tend to agree with that thought. And I think between that and the product cycles returning and you know, really having an event that works across all segments, first week of August was the best choice. Yeah, I heard many positive reviews on that. And this, like you're saying, it was a good time for retailers. They were ready to get away, you know, to reward them yeah. a little bit of vacation. <laughs> So Lance, I'm looking at, so Billy Michaels was your photographer. He did an amazing job. We see the aerial view of the tents set up. Fantastic photo that was in Bicycle Retailer with a fantastic review of the show. You know, working with you weekly, bringing brands and retailers to the show. I mean, I know the conversations I were hearing, you know, hard to leave the store. I really want to go, you know, just the global crisis. How was it for you reaching out to brands to get them to come? Well, it was a mixed bag, to be quite honest with you. I mean, we heard everything that we thought we would hear. You know, there was certainly product shortages. There were people saying, I have product coming, but I'm not ready to talk about it yet. There were people saying, I have a lot of new product that we can't wait to introduce, but it's not the right time because of the pandemic. Then there was maybe the polar opposite. We had a lot of brands say, you know, I don't have anything to talk about right now, but I really want to be there. It's been a year and a half. I need to meet with my dealers. I need to have dialogue one-on-one with them. And quite honestly, that was the prevailing attitude of many of the brands that were there. I mean, fortunately, some of them did have new products and they did have products to demo, but a lot of them were just really jonesing to get back together and have quality FaceTime with the retailers. And that's what we pretty much anticipated. It was a proud moment, really, for me and I think my colleagues to see brands hugging their retailers and telling them, you know, I'm sorry that we've had troubles on this front or that front, but that's what you know, personal B2B events are supposed to be about. You can't do that virtually. You can't do that on a telephone. You need to really see people. And that was a great moment. I got tingles just thinking about it, actually, because that's what a good trade show does. Yeah, I noticed that every brand that was there had a predominant person. So like the president of Highway 2 was there, you know, co-founder of Stram was there. It seemed like every brand had someone who was, you know, in a leading role, ready to talk to retailers and ready to have those conversations. It's something I've never seen before, Lance. And, you know, congratulations, kudos to you to pull it off. I know that was probably a, a large ask in your 20 years of trade show. I, I can't imagine you were ever faced with this sort of circumstance, but you did an amazing job. Well, thank you. I mean, it, it was a lot of enthusiasm from my side and really from my colleagues to have really good dialogues with the retailers. And, you know, we had, we made the argument that if you have great brands, you'll bring in great retailers and vice versa. So it didn't surprise me that some of the, not some, a great quantity of CEOs from the brands that were there were present. The Larry Pieces of the world and you know Ryan Mortar from Highway 2 and on and on. The list is long of high quality brand interaction with high quality retailers. That was our goal from the get-go when we started. It's a lot of work, but I never let it drag me down. If you stay passionate and keep your enthusiasm high, it's contagious. And I think it helped. I mean, it really helped bring this group together. 
Yeah, I can't agree more with that. And, you know, speaking of retailers, the MBDA, we did definitely reach out to our P2 group members, our Bicycle Retailer Excellence Awards partners, you know, talking about the Big Year Show and inviting them to join us. We were centrally, thank you for centrally locating us. It was fantastic to have, you know, that interaction throughout the show. Have you signed up for Ride It Daily Extended Service yet? What are you waiting for? It's the extended service plan for your customers that pays you your shop rate for extended service and warranty claims. Rides is only available to NBDA members, and it's only available at NBDA.com. I have never seen a show offer travel reimbursement. This is something that I thought was extremely unique to the Big Year Show. Can you talk a little bit more about this? I mean, I've only heard positive feedback, but I've never seen it done before. Yes. So, I mean, and I can go back to Sutton Bacon and I talking that first long talk before we even you know, came together as a group, saying that trade shows are out of control with costs for everybody. And the first thing we've got to do is we have to have an affordable option for people because it shouldn't cost as much as it has been to bring people together and do good work. So, I mean, that was kind of the mantra, if you will, from the get-go. And then, you know, certainly recognizing that retailers are having their own struggles and that going to a trade show is pretty expensive. We immediately said, why don't we do a subsidy program? And the easiest one to address is lodging. You know, you set up some lodging options and you offer a lodging subsidy that covers essentially the, the nightly charge for being at the hotel. That was the program that we ran with. We thought that would be a big help for retailers and we would get you know, better and more retailers if we did that. But, you know, on the other side of the fence, we did everything we could to keep the event kind of hassle-free. You know, there's not dry edge. There's no, none of those crazy extraneous costs that we see at the big shows that even I did it, you know, ran for years. No $800 kegs of beer, that type of thing. So we tried to keep the costs down across the board. I think we were pretty successful. And that's going to be the mantra going forward as well. I really liked the travel reimbursement. I liked the host hotels being someone who was, you know, in and out of those hotels, picking up our retailer guests. It was neat, the environment in those hotels, because you had a bunch of people there for the show and you could almost continue those conversations, you know, after hours. So great idea. So many positive moments, so many quality conversations. From your perspective, Lance, is there any, I, I'm not going to ask you to pull out one, but any like moments at the show that are sitting with you that you would share? Absolutely. I'm going to pull out one and it involves you. I can't tell you how my hair stood up almost when I saw the state of the industry panel come together with the quality of folks you had on the panel and the standing room only crowd. What was amazing about that to me, not, it wasn't that it was the fact that you pulled it off at 5 PM after day one. Typically, and you know this all too well, at trade shows at five o'clock, it's everybody scatters, they run out and grab a beer somewhere or whatever, and you put together this fabulous group of people, and never mind how stimulating the conversation was, I was really proud of that moment. I thought this is beyond what we had in mind when we wanted to have the MBDA be our partner and bring education and content to the show. So that really was a big moment for me. And then I'll just say secondary, I think it was, and I know I was asked the same question by Brain. They said, you know, what's going to be the big moment for you? And I said it in the magazine, and I'll say it again, it was the big moment was seeing people that hadn't seen each other for a very long time embrace, well, if they were wearing the green lanyard, they were embracing. That's another story. But I mean, generally speaking, to see people so pleased to be with one another was what I was really anticipating. And that happened 
so many times in three days, it was hard to count how many of those moments I saw. You know, specifically, I think your state of the, of the industry panel, and then generally speaking, across the three days, it was just people seeing each other and, and doing great work together. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. I definitely, myself, I was like, oh no, it's five o'clock. Everyone was like, I thought it was beer time. I was like, <laughs> but I'm so thankful to the panel members for joining me. And I have to be honest, Lance, I called my father like right after and I was like, I just had like probably the moment of my career. Like it was, I thought it was great. And thank you for allowing us that platform. It was good night. I'm thinking back to your team, you know, Nisa. Nisa was absolutely fantastic to work with and everyone on the ground was helpful. Is this 20 years of experience, Lance, like assembling this crew? Like these are people you've worked with before? I would probably say it's dumb luck. And then there was a little bit of pulling some tricks that I had up my sleeve. I mean, Billy Michaels was my photographer for nearly every press cap that I staged. He also shot dealer cap, which we didn't talk about too much. But those three dealer camps I did in the middle of all those press caps, Billy was the guy in Deer Valley. He knows how to climb onto the roof of the Silver Baron Lodge and take the shots he took. He knows you know where things were hidden. He knows exactly what to do, and he's a great photographer. So Billy was a ringer, I think, to bring in. And my other guy, Brady, who did a lot of my events in the past, super hardworking guy who enjoys every moment of being there, was my other ringer. So I pulled out my Rolodex and called a few, you know, pre-Big Year Show helpers that I've had in the past. And they, they really did make a difference. And then the other team members are just new recruitments that we somehow lucked out and got some great people. So it all worked out well. Yeah, kudos to you on that. And, you know, thinking about the photos you know, and I saw the one article, do you expect that we'll see additional photos, videos, or more press coming out about the show this year? Absolutely. And Billy's job was not just to capture moments, but to capture moments that we could use going forward. And we spent the entire day three, well, maybe not the whole day, but almost half the day doing video testimonials, which we're going to put into a loop and have those available. And I did that idea back in my press camp time, because when you're hosting a new event, particularly one that's only had one experience, and you're talking to new clients, whether they're retailers or brands, it's really hard to visualize you know, what the Big Gear show really is. And, and if you have a video that has some still photography and some video interviews to explain that, you know, what to expect when you come to the show, it's super helpful. So we're producing that as we speak. I'm kind of directing that with Billy Michaels, and we'll have that video probably available in the coming weeks, and then there'll be a ton of still photography we're going to use in our campaigns going forward to try to give people, you know, rather than say squint and imagine, we'll have something visual to show them. Yeah, I'm trying to get across to people, you know, with my words and, you know, an idea of bringing you on for this podcast is so people can understand really, you know, what the experience was and hopefully plan for it next year. And yeah, there's certain things that video and images help, you know, create that. I have to say the weather was wonderful. We totally lucked out. I don't know. I'm sure you saw on Friday the smoke rolled in, right? And it was like, thank God the show ended yesterday. It's still with us. It's actually finally fading. Yeah, it's we got lucky. I mean, well, I shouldn't say we got lucky. I mean, the weather here is always pretty good, but we did have that thunderstorm week leading up to the show, and then we had three great days. Day one in particular was stellar. That's more commonplace than otherwise. And then as soon as everybody was packing, I think you left on Saturday. That smoke from the Oregon fires really rolled in pretty thick. It did. I got to share with you one experience I had that was even worse. I alluded to an event I did in 1999 in Vernon, New Jersey called the Open Air Trade Fair. And of course, in New Jersey, where I grew up, I knew the weather could be anything. You know, So I was crossing fingers and toes the whole week or two leading up to it. And three days before that event, a hurricane, which typically don't go through New Jersey, 
did and took down trees and flooded and pretty much wiped out the venue. But amazingly, they got it kind of resurrected and we had three perfect days for this event we did with Interbike in Vernon. And we moved out on the fourth day and the place burned to the ground. They had a horrible fire and they burned down all the lodges. So I thought, I thought maybe I exhausted my, uh, <laughs> my man upstairs moments, but uh, we did it again this time with that smoke and stuff. So That is the story. Lance, do you think that this is a location we might expect to see the show come back to next year? It is. We've been really quite busy since you left last week, discussing this with Deer Valley Resort, discussing strategies on how to make it larger, but still want it to run smoothly and have the charm and intimacy that we had just last week. Deer Valley Resort is very interested in having us back. I mean, I would say unless something happens dramatically, we're going to be right back where we were last week in 2022. Looks really promising. And we'll know soon because our goal is to relaunch in early September. Very excited to hear that. And the MBDA, you know, again, you know, our partnership, we got to get those weekly meetings going again, Lance. Any other things you can give us into 2022? I'm going to (laughs) just call you out here a little bit more. Any other things, you know, you talked about expanding, you you know, you think we're going to be growing next year and, you know, all indicators are a go from your side. Yeah, I mean, across the board, I think the event will be bigger. I mean, we had so many brands, numerous brands who came to me personally and said, hey, Lance, I want to support your show. I want to be there. I just can't do it for this reason or that. I really genuinely think they're going to call me back for 2022 and, and do the event. So I, I know the on the brand side, we'll have more brands and we'll probably have more bikes and we'll have more demoing. So that part of the, the show is undoubtedly going to grow. And we hope to do the same with retailers. I know, like you said earlier in the call, I think there's a, a number of retailers who really truly wanted to be there, but for one reason or another, they couldn't because of staffing challenges or, or certainly the COVID pandemic lingering on. So it would be bigger, but I'm really being cautious and I'm being cautious with my own colleagues and say, I want to be bigger, but I don't want the magic to leave the air. That show was pretty magical. I've had this experience in the past where, honestly, with dealer camp, I did my first dealer camp. It was unbelievably magical. It was everything we hoped for and more. And then, frankly, we got intoxicated with our own success, and we grew it way too fast and way too big in year two. And it lost the magic, and people were not as happy as they should have been. So I learned my lesson with the other camp, and this concept is nearly identical. So I can say with authority that I think we should be really careful how fast we grow it, want to make it a high-quality event again. But I mean, there's undoubtedly it'll be bigger, and it'll be probably better attended, no question. Yeah, I'm stuck in that word magic because I'm with you on that. You know, I don't want to lose that feeling that, you know, I guess if you were there, you know what we're talking about, but you couldn't help but come away with like a little, your heart was beating bigger and stronger. So 2021, Lance, was invitation only limited to, I think, 500 retailers. You know, if we're talking about maybe growing, would you envision that 500 retailers to be similar for 2022? Or, you know, what would you think in that regard? Well, I think we all want it to be bigger. And I think we want to grow that number over 500. But what's keeping a lid on it at the moment is making sure that we have the proper amount of lodging so people aren't staying you know, 25 miles out of town, making sure that we have enough space to grow the brand quantity that justifies the greater attendance of retailers. And all that right now is being negotiated. Things are looking promising. I mean, we're starting very early. But also, I should say, for anybody producing an event, there's still a lot of people who hadn't gotten married or hadn't had their national sales meeting or didn't do something that is taking up space here in Park City. 
So a lot of people are booking right now for things that may take up lodging capacities and so forth. So we want to be really careful that we choose a quantity as our ceiling, as our capacity. As I keep saying, it keeps the event highly purposeful and, and magical as it was. I'm almost thinking that retailers are going to be wanting to get those invitations like in ASAP, you know, <laughs> like Lance, when do you expect the retail, like talk more about that invitation process, because I know that I told some retailers to reach out to you on, you know, on behalf of the MBBA and gave those invitations, but how do retailers, maybe who weren't sure how to navigate that, can you just speak a little bit more to the invitation process? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Heather, because I think it was somewhat misguided the way we communicated how 2021 went. We had a list of retailers that we had assembled across the segments, across climbing, camping, cycling, and so forth, that was really to kind of prime the pump, if you will. And we sent out, literally sent out invitations personally to every one of those. But simultaneously, it was on our website, literally on every page, if you're interested in coming, to please inquire. So although we invited a lot of retailers, a lot of people inquired, and then we qualified them. And frankly, you know, mostly everybody who inquired was a genuine, good quality bike shop. But yeah, there were some that were a little hokey that we had to kind of flesh out and we had to say no to a few that we just didn't think were the right mix for our group. But everybody will always have the opportunity going forward uh, if they hadn't gotten an invitation formally to inquire. And then once we respond to the inquiry, you know, technically going to be given a, an answer of yes or no, we'd love to have you. So really, in a way... It was a two-step process. It was either a formal invitation or an inquiry that we responded to and said, we'd love to have you. And that's how we grew it to where it was, 421 buyers or whatever the number was at the end of the day. So we'll know the cap, I think, going forward. We'll probably do a similar process, but it's going to be... I want everybody to know in your audience that just because you didn't get an email and you probably might have been justified to get one, we just don't have the biggest, greatest database in the world, you know, please inquire and talk to us. Yeah, I love that. And being someone like we just had our Bicycle Retailer Excellence Awards and every shop who took part, I got to know, you know, on a deeper level. So inquiring or sending an invitation allows you, Lance, and the rest of the show team to get to know that shop better. So when you do come, you've already got like the basis for the magic, right? It's like, oh, hi, that's right. We spoke, right? It's like you already have that set up. Absolutely. I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, I have a lot of experience in the bike industry, but because I was doing media camps up until 2017, I lost touch with a lot of great retailers. And there's been a lot of turnover and new stores and some great new players. And this process for the last 10 months of inviting and communicating and calling and sending emails back and forth, I got to know a whole lot of retailers. And it's been really exciting. I'm really happy to be back in this place where I feel like I now I know the brands and I know the retailers. So the puzzle is kind of complete for me, and it feels great going into 2022 in a place that I really wasn't in in 2021. Yeah, so anyone listening who's interested in joining us at the Big Year Show 2022, if you don't get an invitation in your inbox, go ahead and hit inquire. Lance or the team will personally reach out to you, but we definitely just don't have the database to reach out to everyone, but it lets us get to know your shop a little bit more and helps in this magic that we're talking about. It's part of it. Absolutely. It's perfectly said. Perfectly said. Yep. So Lance, for you now, do you get a little short break here? Or, like, I can't even imagine like how busy you've been. Well, actually, no. Yes and no. I mean, for the next two weeks, three weeks, I've been alluding to, we have a lot of work to do to get the 2022 event shaped into a place where we can announce it and get the dates on the calendar and begin the process. But, you know, it's not going to be like a freight train with business in the first few weeks. So I'll take a little time probably after we launch 2022 and take a breath and catch up. 
But then once the pendulum starts swinging my way, it's, it's going to be super busy. I know a lot of folks say, what do you do all year? But, you know, it's like having Thanksgiving dinner for a thousand people. There's a lot of things to do. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, started, yeah, we, we stayed really busy. We're a small team. Time went by so quickly. We started meeting in February. And before I knew it, the show was here. It was like, <laughs> it goes by quickly. <laughs> Incredible. Right? We'll definitely resume those calls. I enjoyed those every week. It really helped me stay focused on the number one component, which was you guys and our retailers. It was a great relationship. And I'm looking forward to it coming forward. Lance, so for our listeners who are thinking about 2022, what's the best way they can stay attuned to the show news? Is it the website, biggearshow.com or... It really is. I mean, we're going to be, you know, probably taking down a lot of content that's out there now. We'll leave up a few of the pertinent information. And then as the programs and the launch come forward, all of that will be on the website. So it's www.thebiggearshow.com. And of course, I'm available to talk with anyone at any time, Lance at thebiggearshow.com. Thanks, Lance. So a little Heather question here. I mean, how's your happiness level? You know, you've united the industry in such a positive way. The first show back, it must feel good. How are you feeling? I feel great. Obviously, I think, you know, I enjoy what I do immensely. I pinch myself every day that I, I've been in the bike industry literally my whole life. I made so many great friends, worked for so many great brands. I've been able to host some really super meaningful events. You know, getting into this one was all new, you know, work, working with multiple segments in the middle of a pandemic, no less. You know, it had its moments of concern, but I just knew if you do good work, good work always prevails. So we really buckled down and we did the best work we could. And lo and behold, we had a great event. I'm yeah. very happy to answer your question. This should be like a moment where you're just like, <sighs> because yeah, diving into something unknown. And you know, I looked you up on LinkedIn to get ready for this conversation. I had no idea about your past with Mavic and you know all the trade shows. And it's been fantastic working with you and your team. And in my opinion, the show is a fantastic success on behalf of the MBBA board members. We all thought the show was a fantastic success. The industry wow. needs what you did this year. The execution, the way you pulled us together during this crisis, I can't thank you enough. I have goosebumps and I truly mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm really excited about next year. And you know, this was like last minute, like a couple of days ago, I was like, Lance, you want to do this podcast? And again, you just showed up and you're like, let's do it. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And I do want to say before we hang up that the MBDA was such a huge part of our success, really. I mean, you know, the idea of bringing education and good content along with great products and along with meaningful, you know, gatherings on a face-to-face time, the education part of it was huge. And, you know, we did ask the question in our surveys leading out of the launch of the show, what is the most important reason for gathering? And across the segments, education was before demoing, which, you know, when you go to the Garden of Eden to, to test bikes, you would think that'd be the number one answer, but it wasn't. It was education. And so that was our plan, our partnership working with you. You, you guys really pulled it off extremely well. And I was really proud of everything you guys did. I look forward to doing it all over again. Thanks, Lance. All right. So that is it. I invite you to connect with me. Come on Bicycle Retail Radio. Share your story with our listeners. You can find lots of great items, upcoming webinars, member networking meetings on the MBDA website. If you'd like to support the show, the best way is subscribe, share your favorite episodes with your friends on your social media networks. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening. Now go be great. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com.